we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to take your Bible and go with me into the Old Testament to the book of 2 Samuel. And if you're uh, new to us today, you're joining us for the first time, or maybe just a few times you've been here. On Sunday mornings, we have been studying together through the life of David. David was the king of Israel who began as a shepherd boy. That's when we were first introduced to him. And uh, as a young shepherd boy, he was sent to serve uh, under the king of Israel at that time, whose name was Saul. He slew the giant. He's known uh, throughout the world for his victory over Goliath. And, of course, then Saul turned against him, and David fled from the presence of Saul. He was the anointed uh, king. He was Saul's successor. And uh, Saul perceived that, of course, and sought to destroy David. But David honored God, and David became the king. After becoming the king, as we've noted in the book of 2 Samuel, uh, there was a time when the men of Israel, the although the or although that the men of Judah acknowledged him as king, there was a time when the men of Israel did not, and then finally the men of Israel came to David and acknowledged him as king. In chapter 5, we saw that the Lord established David's kingdom. He was anointed as king over all the nation of Israel. And then as soon as that happened, the Philistines, who were the perpetual enemies of Israel, came up to resist, to fight against David and the men of Israel. And, of course, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them. Uh, the land of Israel then was uh, ridded, so to speak, of the presence of the Philistines who had occupied uh, their land for quite some time. But now David, having received uh, the allegiance of the people as king, having his rule established by the Lord and having his enemies removed, at least those who fought against him, the Philistines, removed from the land, it's time for something different, a new challenge for the king, a new phase in his kingdom. And he's pointing here to the spiritual life, uh, not only his own spiritual life, but the spiritual life of the nation. And so go with me, if you would, here to Second Samuel chapter 6. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 11, and uh, God willing, we'll get through verse number 11 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter number 6, verses 1 through 11. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal to, of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord God of hosts, or the Lord of hosts, rather, that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. 
And Ahio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him unto the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his house. It's really quite a dreadful story, isn't it? The people of Israel gathered together. It was in David's heart to bring up the ark of God. That's the title of the message, by the way, bring up the ark of God. It was in David's heart to bring up the ark of God. He spoke to the men of Israel. They said, yes, that's what we would like to see happen. Let's bring back the ark, bring it out of obscurity, bring it out of the house of Abinadab and kerjath Jerem, and bring it up to the city of David. Let's bring it up to Jerusalem where David is going to rule and to reign. It was a day which began with amazing promise. The hearts of the people were filled with excitement and anticipation. But it ended in great despair, did it not? Uzzah, who was driving the cart that the ark was resting upon, when he got to a place in the road maybe that was a little unstable or something happened to the oxen beneath them, the Bible says the oxen stumbled in the first Chronicles. And uh, Uzzah did what you and I probably would instinctively have done when he saw the ark of God beginning uh, to, to shake, and he, he felt the jolt, and he perceived perhaps that the ark was about to fall off the cart. He took his hand. He reached forward with his hand. He took hold of the ark to stay the ark, to secure the ark, to keep it from falling to the ground. And the Bible says that when he did that, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there. For his error. And there he died by the ark of God. He fell over dead. I imagine he fell off the cart and fell to the ground. People began to gasp. They pointed. Those close by ran to see if they could help Uzzah, but he was already gone. The singing stopped. The instruments stopped. The service stopped. The parade, the procession to bring the ark to Jerusalem stopped in its tracks. 
Uzzah has died. David was displeased. The people were in shock. There was weeping and mourning. A day which began with such promise ended so terribly. Now it did, as I said a moment ago, begin with great promise. It was in David's heart to bring up the ark of the Lord. He desired to have the presence of God with him, and he desired to have the blessings of God upon his life and kingdom. That's the reason he sought to bring up the ark. Let me ask you a question. Do you desire to have God's presence in your life? Do you desire to have God's blessings on your life? Well, David certainly did. And if we desire to have God's blessings, God's presence, the Lord's presence in our life, in our homes, in the hearts of our children, and in our church, if we desire that, well, then we need to take note of what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Now, how did all of this begin? Well, it began with David's notion, his idea, his thought that the ark of God had been neglected and it had for some 70 years since it was carried away by the Philistines and then eventually it was returned, but it was placed again in another home. Why? Because of a similar incident when the cart that the Philistines put the ark upon, we'll look at it in just a moment, returned to Jerusalem or to Jerusalem, to Israel, the men of Beth Shemesh, looked in the ark. They were not supposed to do that. And God smote them. A host of them died that day. And therefore they carried the ark of God into the house. Into a house, we find it as we come now to 2 Samuel 6 in the house of Abinadab in a place called kerjath Jerem, And there really it had remained for a number of years in obscurity, neglected. In fact, we only read one time in the reign of Saul that the ark of the Lord was even sought for. But David realizes, I can't rule a day without the presence and blessings of God. Now, the ark is significant. You say, well, what is the ark? It's not a boat. Now, there is a boat called the ark, right? Noah's ark. But it's a piece of furniture. About two feet, well, about two feet high, about two feet wide, and about three and a half feet long. So imagine that box sitting on the top of this platform of the pulpit was about maybe very close to that and only about two feet high and two feet wide. It was overlaid with gold. Inside of the ark originally was placed a copy of the law, the Ten Commandments of God, that which he engraved with his own hand, Aaron's rod that budded, and a pot of the manna that God told them to keep. Over the ark was a covering, a lid made of gold, and upon that lid that was called the mercy seat, there were two cherubim fashioned of gold, two angelic creatures fashioned of gold, and their wings met. It was a, a beautiful work of craftsmanship and of great value. The Lord said to Moses, I want you to make that, that ark, and I want you to put it into the tabernacle, into the place called the Holy of Holies. One time a year, 
the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrifice that was made for the atonement of the people. He could only go in one time a year. And there, in that one time, he could sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant, and the Bible says that God there would meet with the nation of Israel. He would meet with his people above the mercy seat. So the ark is significant because it symbolized the presence of God. It also symbolized the glory of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, in verses 17 through 22, you have the record of the nation of Israel when they were fighting the Philistines, and and, uh, they, they decided to bring out the ark of God the nation of Israel, they they said, we're going to bring out the ark of God and take the ark into battle, the presence and glory of God, and certainly we will prevail. But they did not prevail. And the reason they did not prevail is not because the Lord had lost his power. It is because they had neglected to worship and honor God. Remember, the priest at that time was a man named Eli. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were wicked men. The Bible calls them sons of Belial or sons of the devil. That was their behavior. Their behavior was such that the people of Israel began to hate going up to the tabernacle in Shiloh to worship God. Those boys would rob the people of the sacrifice they were making to God, and they committed adultery with the women of Israel. And so Israel went into a stage of of, of just spiritual barrenness and and backsliding. And so they thought, well, we'll bring out the, the, the ark of God, the ark of God symbolizing, again, the presence and glory of God when they had not been seeking the presence of God. And that token of the ark will bring us victory, but it did not. And the Philistines won the battle, and they carried, if you'll remember, the ark away and took it into the land of the Philistines. They placed it in the temple of their god named Dagon. You can read of this in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and 5 and 6. And uh, they, they placed the ark there, and they got up the next morning, went to the temple of Dagon, their god, and found that the, the statue, the image of Dagon that they had made, had fallen over. So they set Dagon back up, and they came back the next morning, and when they came back, they found the temple, uh, the statue of Dagon had fallen again, and this time the head of Dagon was severed from the, the rest of the statue, the image, and his hands were severed. What was God doing? He was symbolizing, he was signifying his power over those pagan gods. They said, we can't have this. So they sent, they sent the ark to different regions of the land of the Philistines. And everywhere they sent the ark, God pronounced judgment upon the Philistines. There was a plague of mice. They, they worshiped gods and, and, and images of their own imaginations. And, and, and they knew that mice, at least in their religion, was a form of judgment of God. So God sent the mice to reveal his power. God gave them tumors to to reveal his power, physical tumors. Numbers of them suffered from these. And and because of their superstition and because of their beliefs, they, they understood that those tumors and those mice were particularly associated with judgment. And so instead of repenting of their sin and acknowledging who the true and the living God was, they said, wait a minute, we got to get him out of here. 
and they sent him back to Israel on a new cart. Now that's going to be important, as we'll note in just a minute. But having heard the news that the ark had been taken, Eli, the priest, fell backwards, the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And he broke his neck, and he died. His sons had died in battle. The ark of God was taken. He was, he was told by a messenger what had happened. He fell backward. He broke his neck, and he died. In verse number 19 of 1 Samuel 4, his daughter-in-law, who was the wife of one of the boys who died in battle, one of those wicked sons of Belial, she was with child. She was expecting at the time. And when, when she heard the news of the death of her husband and of her father-in-law, and she heard that the ark of God had been taken, she went into labor. And she gave birth to a son. And in that labor, she died. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 4 and verse 21, what an awful scene this is. In 1 Samuel 4 and verse 21, that she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken. And because of her father-in-law and her husband, and she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. Here's a woman giving birth. Her husband has died. Her father-in-law has died. The ark of God has been taken by the Philistines, a thing that is unimaginable the Hebrew mind has happened, and this woman, in her dying moment, giving birth to her son, says, the glory of God is departed. David then, 70 years plus later, says it's time to bring back the glory. It's time to seek the Lord. It's time to commune with him. But in his desire enters this despair and this dread and the dismay and the disappointment of the death of Uzzah. How could this happen? And what can you and I learn from it this morning? I think there are three truths in this passage that will serve as a sobering reminder to us as we Consider the privilege that is ours to have God with us. By the way, the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And because he is with us, we can be with him. But there's a word of caution here to the saved and to the unsaved in how we approach him. And so may God help us. I'll give you three thoughts, three truths to consider this morning. Let me give you the first one. Number one is the heart of David. The heart of David. Look again in verse 1. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Here we have a glimpse into David's motive, into his heart. And we commend him for his motive. 
It's David's desire to bring back the glory to Israel, to honor the Lord. He longed for the presence of the Lord. It is David who wrote in the Psalms, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. David desired to have communion and fellowship with God. He thirsted in his soul for God, and he sought to honor the Lord, and he sought to right the wrongs which we just looked at that had occurred 70 years earlier when the ark was taken. David said the ark's been neglected long enough. They haven't inquired of it as as they should have in the days of Saul. That's what he said to the men of Israel. His motive, it was a good motive. But then we see his mistake. And I want you to look with me in in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Because in 1 Chronicles, we have a, a different record of the same event. We have a little more information. In 1 Chronicles chapter number 13, and we'll begin reading here in verse number 1, 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and verse number 1. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. Well, I mean, that's probably wise, wouldn't you think? I mean, he's the new king. He's trying to build a, 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 a conglomeration of, of support. Uh, he, he's a coalition, rather, of support. And, and so he's he's reaching out to the leaders and, and asking for their advice. Verse 2, And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also the priests and the Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us, verse 3, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said they would do so. For the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David, I think he makes a wise decision here. He he consults with the people. He said, let's bring back the ark of God to us. And the people said, yes, David, we are with you. Great idea. But there's one startling omission. The man who had inquired of the Lord twice in the previous chapter before going to battle, he does not inquire of the Lord In all of his consulting with the leaders of Israel, he does not consult with the Lord. He sought the advice of the men of Israel, but he did not search the Scriptures. He sent messengers to the captains, but he did send or he did not send a prayer to God. It's a word of caution there for us, right? I mean, there are times in our lives when we think, well, you know, this just makes sense. Let's do it. I'll talk to my wife about it. I'll talk to my coworkers about it. I'll I'll talk to different people about it. It just makes sense. This is what we ought to do. Even in the life and ministry of the church, we can make decisions if we're not careful without seeking the counsel of the Lord. God, we want to do something for you, but we're not going to ask for your blessing and guidance in it. We have to be very careful. The heart of David. I think he made a mistake here. But his heart was right. His motive was right. But yet the day will end so terribly, won't it? And we see, secondly, the hands of men. 
verse 3, And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord and all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen shook it. You see, David and his men literally took matters into their own hands. Even when our motives are right, there's something we have to remember about ourselves. The Bible tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who could know it? Even when we do good things, we can have bad motives. Even when we believe our motives are right, our position is right. Our goals are right. We have to examine our own hearts. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 and verse 25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. David, it's a great idea. Let's take the ark up. How are we going to do it? Oh, that's a good question. Well, let's go down to the cart shop. And let's buy a new cart. Don't you remember when the ark was returned by the Philistines? They put it on a new cart. Huh, yeah. I've heard that story. Well, let's just go get a new cart. Roll it in here. Look at it. It's four-wheel drive. It's got all the bells and whistles. It's a really nice cart. It's got two oxen power. This thing is ready to go. You see, that's what we do. That is what we do. We lean to our own understanding. We say, well, wait a minute. The Philistines have some new carts. That worked before. Let's try that. The problem is that's not God's method. Now, in 1 Samuel 6, if you take the time, verses 6 through 12, if you take the time later today, you're going to find out exactly how the Philistines sent the ark back on a new cart. And now it would seem that the Israelites are mimicking, adopting the method we talked about motives earlier. Now we're talking about methods. They adopted the methods of the Philistines to bring the ark to themselves. I want you to know that God doesn't ride in our new carts. He doesn't come to us on our terms, and we don't approach him on our terms. We do not mimic the tactics of the Philistines. Now, you see, had David taken the time, he would have found out two things about how the ark was to be moved. Number one, it was to be covered. In Numbers chapter 4, God told Aaron 
to cover the ark, to go into the Holy of Holies, he and his sons, and to cover the ark. They were to cover it with a covering, and they were to put the staves in the rings of the ark. Now imagine again, this is about the size maybe, at least the top of it, two feet high, two feet deep, uh, and three feet long, so three and a half feet long. And this is the, the ark, the top of this pulpit up to about here maybe, okay? And there are rings here on these two corners, and on these two corners there are rings. And the staves simply means rods. They would be inserted in the rings. And so the Aaron and his sons would come and lay the covering that God had prescribed, that God had told them how to make it. By the way, he told them how to make the ark. And then he told them how to make the coverings. And they would come in and they would lay the coverings over the ark. They would insert the staves into the ark. And then the sons of Kohath, who were Levites, they would come in and they would put their shoulders underneath the staves and they would lift up the ark and they would carry the ark forward as the people of God traveled. That is the way that God prescribed for the ark to be moved. Had David taken the time to consult with the Word of God, he would have known that. It was to be covered. Now, let me explain. Uh, Let me read Numbers chapter 4 and verse 20. The, The Lord is speaking to Aaron concerning the sons of Kohath, and he says this, But they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered, lest they die. God says they're going to carry the ark, but they don't need to see it until it's been covered. And if they get curious and they want to come in and see my glory and my majesty and my power and my strength, they are going to die. It has to be covered. And then it had to be carried. If you want to look this up, Exodus 25 verses 12 through 15 tells us exactly how that was to be done. Now, see, had David, again, an Uzzah, an Ohio, taken the time, they would have understood exactly how they were supposed to bring up the ark. Instead, they chose to follow the methodology of the Philistines. Then we come to a third thing. And that is the holiness of God. Verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. You say, well, I'm telling you what, that's, that's a scary thought. It is, isn't it? You say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. Well, the same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. It was he not? Acts chapter 5 and verse 1, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, Yea, for so much. And Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then she, or then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. Why did God kill them? Because they sold land and didn't give the whole price? No. God didn't tell them they had to do that. But because they sold the land and pretended to give the whole price. They wanted everybody to think highly of them. They wanted to rob God of his glory. They wanted to portray themselves to be something they weren't. By the way, we are all guilty of that. God is holy. His anger was kindled against Uzzah. You see, the God of Israel is the true and the living God. He is not a God fashioned by men. No man can approach him unless they come in the manner that he has prescribed. So how has he prescribed for it to be done? Well, the Bible tells us in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's only one way for God to get to us and only one way for us to get to God. It's through the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He who was God became man without ceasing to be God. And he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to have him with you. There's only one way that you can be with him, and that is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every other thought, every other idea is a new cart that will lead to failure and stumbling and destruction. There's only one way to life through Jesus. The Lord made the only payment sufficient to pay for our sins when he shed his blood on the cross. His blood purchased our access to God. He is the covering for the ark. It is his shoulders that can bear the load of deity and humanity. None other can do that. There is no other way to God but by him. But when men disregard the sacrifice of Christ, when they seek to come to God another way on a card of their own invention, then they come under the wrath and condemnation of a holy God. That's what happened to Uzzah. His motives seemed good. His method, though, displeased the Lord. Now, the Bible tells us in, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, if you'll turn there with me, I'd like for you to note this concerning the nature of our God. As I said a moment ago, he's a holy God. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26 
The Bible said, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall be... Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What does the Bible tell us in verse uh, number 10 or verse number 9 of, of our text in 2 Samuel 6? And David was afraid of the Lord that day. The Bible reminds us that our God is a holy God. There's only one way to him. That's through Jesus. How dare we, how dare we pull out our new carts and demand God to jump on them? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. When we know better, when we've heard the truth and we turn from it, some of you have heard the gospel proclaimed and you've yet to believe in Jesus. And I want to tell you, you are, as the writer of Hebrews said, trotting under your feet the Son of God, counting his blood, the blood of the covenant, as an unholy thing. You see, when you imagine that there's some other way to God but other than Christ, what you're saying is that Christ is not who he said he was, the Son of God. You are discounting him. And dear Christian friend, when you decide that you're going to live outside of the commandments of God, you're going to do it your way. You're saved, you've trusted in Christ, but you've decided that you're going to live the way you want to when it comes to your relationships, when it comes to what you're doing and, and the habits and the sins that you're partaking of. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. You're going to do things the way you want to. You cannot have God's blessing and presence with you. And so the whole thing stops abruptly and the service ends and the ark is carried into the house of Obed-Edom, a Gittite, a Philistine. Now, not any adversarial Philistine, a Philistine who's apparently come into the land of Israel and said, this is where I want to be. And now he welcomes into his home the ark of God. And the Bible says in the ark of the Lord, verse 11 and the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So as we think about all of this, how does this apply to our lives? What does this teach us? How, how did such a promising day end so tragically? I mean, weren't these men just trying to do the right thing? What's, what's the big deal here? 
Why would the Lord pour his wrath out on a well-intended man who sought to honor him? I think those are good questions. I, I think we've, we've examined them. I want to ask you, are you willing to ask the question of your motive? Why are you here today? What is it that you want from God? Some people want to use God. They, they, they think of God as a bellboy or an attendant. And they say, you know, look, we want to pull you out when we're in trouble, and we want you to come through for us. My marriage is struggling, so would you fix that? I'm having a hard time at work. Would you, would you fix that? I'm in trouble. Would you, would you get me out? I'm sick. Would you take care of me? Get me through. That, that's why they brought the army of Israel, brought him out in the ark in the battle of the Philistines earlier. But it didn't work. What is our motive in seeking God? Will we acknowledge that he is the sovereign God of the universe, that he is a holy God? Will we acknowledge that we cannot live without him? There's no other way to God but through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you truly want to know him and to seek him and to commune with him? Having the right motive, however, in of itself is not enough. Uh, we have to employ the Lord's methods in approaching him. You may be as sincere this morning as a man can possibly be, but no matter, no, 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 no matter your level of sincerity, God has only one prescribed method to approach you. Have you come to Jesus? Have you come through him? How about the matter of our methods? There's only one method. That's through Jesus. Are you following, Christian friend, that method? The Philistine way oftentimes seems logical, doesn't it? It seems good. It, 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 it may look to be successful and needful in the eyes of men, but if it is not the prescribed method of God, how dare we presume to take the holy things of God into our dirty hands and mimic the methodology of the world. Churches are filled with well-intended people seeking to employ these methods, seeking to carry out the work of God using the latest and greatest of the new carts. We believe that God is a God to be feared and worshipped and reverenced. We approach him reverentially. There are things that we do in our worship service that are designed intentionally to promote reverence to God. We don't sing the world's songs. We don't move to their beat. We are God's people. It's who we are. It's who we always will be by the grace of God. We want to honor the Lord Jesus. Are you honoring him?
By the way, I think there's one final lesson here. Be aware of the danger of consulting men and neglecting to consult with the Lord. It was there for them all along. You see, while they're in the cart shop fashioning all the new carts with the latest bells and whistles, trying to figure out how we're going to get the ark up there to Jerusalem, (laughs) it was right there in the Bible all along. But we have a generation enamored with the new carts. I preach Wednesday night. We got to be people of this book. Quit wasting your life. Let me say it again. Quit wasting your life on all the vain pursuits of humanity and get in the Bible and even in the religious realm. There are so many people with their babbling and their vain talk that amounts to nothing. And they they like to hear themselves talk, but they don't know God and they don't know his word. We want to know his word. It is the thing that will change us and transform us. It is the thing that will transform your home. It is the thing that your children need more than anything. You say, wait a minute, they need a high-dollar education, and they need a great income, and they need every advantage of life. And if they have it all and don't know God, when it's all over, they're going to go to hell. Hey, God, help us. Say, bring up the ark. Well, let's do it his way. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.